Welcome to the Dating and Relationship Show with Laura Bellotta from singleinthecity.ca on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Hello and welcome back to the Dating and Relationship Show. I'm Laura Bellotta from singleinthecity.ca. Sitting in with me today is my show regular, Hello. Dr. Claudia McKella from the Center for Health. In Canada, it's estimated that one in 66 children have autism spectrum disorder. Autism spectrum disorder refers to a range of conditions characterized by some degree of impaired social interactions and communication habits, along with restricted and repetitive patterns of behavior and interest. This can greatly affect the way in which they approach dating. I wanted to cover this topic today because it's an important topic. As humans, we all love and we want to be loved. And I wanted to give those on the spectrum some hope and offer some insight on what resources are available to them. Joining us today is Evan Mead. Hello. He is a Toronto filmmaker who was diagnosed with Asperger's at the age of five. He also runs a social camp workshop for people with Asperger's syndrome to learn about things such as body language, dating etiquette, conversation skills, and more. I'm also one of the day coaches who is part of that workshop. We are going to get into that in a little while. We're also joined by Dory Zenner. She's an individual couple and uh, family therapist who works with those affected by autism. Hi, with, Laura. Hi. So you have 15 years of experience. She uses evidence-based therapy techniques to help her clients achieve their goals and enhance their lives. Dory practices from a neurodiversity framework. She views autism as a neurological difference and not a disorder. Welcome, everybody, to the show. I'm so excited to have this conversation today. We're going to start with you, Dory. What unique characteristics can those on the spectrum inhibit? Uh, people on the spectrum. I just want to point out, if you've met one person with autism, you've met one person with autism. So I'm going to be careful today not to generalize and make generalizations about autistic individuals. Uh, but some of the wonderful characteristics uh, that they have is they can really get in the zone, which means they have incredible ability to focus on things that are very interesting and that they're very passionate about. And because of that, they can develop skills at a very high level, whether it's a musical ability or a creative art talent. Um, also, they tend to have out-of-the-box thinking. So they're looking at things from a different perspective than maybe you and I that we can really value in our society. Um, some people on the spectrum have an incredible sense of humor. They're quite funny, um, which might not be a common stereotype. And they have true. a photographic memory. I know, some Evan, do. you do. I certainly do, do yes. You? Yes, uh, he does. Yeah. Um, something else is they can really be social justice crusaders, so they really care about the underdog. Uh, they can be deeply empathetic, especially towards animals, towards the environment, and towards other vulnerable peoples. Uh, so those are some of the, the characteristics that I notice in the people that I work with and some of the wonderful talents that they have. And for those of, the, uh, for those of people who don't know, what type of social challenges do those on the spectrum experience? Uh, well, it varies person to person. Uh, for some people, they may have difficulty just uh, recognizing when it's the right time to sort of be social. So when is there an opportunity to initiate a conversation? Um, what is it that the other person might be interested in talking about? Uh, how to carry on a reciprocal conversation, a back and forth conversation where both parties are included. Uh, sometimes you may notice that, that the tone of voice or the voice volume doesn't necessarily fit with the setting or context. So you might have someone that might speak really loudly all the time, or someone speaks really, really quietly and they're kind of hard 
uh, to hear. What's interesting about the social differences of people on the spectrum is that you can have both introverts and extroverts on the spectrum. So there might be a stereotype that the um, artistic person is the quiet person in the corner. That's actually, um, it can be true for some people, but for others, it can be the life of the party, uh, really boisterous and outgoing. There's just a few more. Can I touch on a couple more? Yeah, go ahead. Okay. Uh, There's a stereotype that people on the spectrum have difficulty with eye contact. Oftentimes, eye contact feels quite intense. For those people, they really feel the emotion, and it's hard to speak and concentrate on the eye contact at once at the same time. So they've learned to approximate, maybe looking at people's eyebrows or their nose uh, bridge to try to look like they're making eye contact when maybe they're not. And you might notice that they're not picking up on inferences or sarcasm. So if someone tells a joke, they're not noticing that it's actually a joke and they may take it seriously. But I think the key thing to notice is you don't always know if someone's on the spectrum. I think a lot of people mask or camouflage their social differences because they've learned skills over time, uh, social skills so they can get by in a neurotypical world. Evan, do you want to add to that? Well, yeah. Um, first of all, um, I love your open-ended attitude towards how it's not a disability. It's just a condition that uh, other people have. And you're absolutely right. It's so diverse that not everyone on the spectrum is alike. Um, I personally uh, like sometimes cannot tell when someone's making a joke. Um, I, uh, But I, I am getting a little better and better. And um the bit you say about hyperfocus is actually kind of interesting because while I can hyperfocus to a degree, I'm also easily distracted. So, um, but that's not so much in like the terms of personal relationships. It's just um, uh, in just a, a life sense. Like, am I ever if I have like if I want to dedicate to my day to doing one thing and then like twenty other things come up, my day is shot because then I have to run around like giving partial focus to all those 20 other things and then I feel kind of depressed like let's say if I wanted to dedicate a certain day to watch movies because I'm a filmmaker I like to study film I will get depressed if I have to do chores that day because I can't dedicate all the time I wanted to to watch a movie I've noticed that with the people I work with as well when they're so like passionate and focused on something when they can't do it it's almost like a loss yeah they're grieving the time that they could be spending doing what they love and as a result the things that they have to do that they don't want to do sometimes fall to the wayside yeah okay I have a question does autism spectrum disorder equally affect men and women um I'd like to jump into that um I am told and we got the expert here, uh, even more so than me, that it is more common in males than in females. Right, right. So uh, research shows that four to five times um, males are being identified to females. But what we're finding actually is that girls are tragically underdiagnosed and misdiagnosed. Yes. So they're getting diagnosed with all yeah. kinds of mental health issues. I was hoping when a young about girl that. walks into a doctor's office and she's struggling with emotional regulation, they're not looking for autism. No one's looking for autism. We need to take a break. We're talking about dating as an adult with Asperger's or autism. When we come back on the Dating and Relationship Show, stay with us. You're listening to the Dating and Relationship Show with Laura Bellotta from singleinthecity.ca on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. And we're back. We're talking about dating and relationships. When you have Asperger's or autism today on the Dating and Relationship Show, Global News Radio 640 Toronto, I'm your host, Laura Bellotta. Sitting with me today is Dr. Claudia Michaela from 
the Center for Health. And joining us today is Dori Zenner. She's a therapist who works with those affected by autism, as well as Evan Mead, a Toronto filmmaker, my friend as well. He is a friend of mine. And he has Asperger's. He was diagnosed at the age of five. He also runs a social camp workshop for people with Asperger's. So welcome back, everybody. I want to dive into social interactions for those on the spectrum. Before the break, we touched upon the way uh, those on the spectrum may struggle with social interactions. So let's explore that just a little bit more. Uh, This question is for you, Evan. Is there a stereotype that people with Asperger's um, are antisocial? What can you tell me about that? Well, uh, sadly, there is a stereotype that says we're antisocial. And there's also another negative stereotype that says we're very cold. I haven't found that to be very true. I found I um I actually have my friend um who is actually very overly happy. Like every time I see him, he always has like a smile that could light up the whole room. So I would say, just as Dory said earlier, it does vary from person to person. But um I know some people on the spectrum with Asperger's and autism who emote uh less than others and more than others. But um yeah, I just it's a stereotype I want to break. Yeah, because you are I've known you for a few years now. We run this social camp together yeah. and I find you to be extremely social oh thanks <laughs> <laughs> yeah well in public anyways <laughs> yeah when I'm at home I'm just a sloth <laughs> you can't call me you can only text me <laughs> yeah sorry Dory uh, just to add to that I think there's two uh, things that people on the spectrum really face when it comes to social situations and one is social anxiety so there's very high rates of social anxiety a lot of doubt a lot of uh, self-criticism, which keeps people isolated, unfortunately, and causes them to withdraw. And the other is social fatigue. So someone on the spectrum might go to a party. They might appear to be really having a great time enjoying themselves. And then afterwards, they need to be in a dark space, quiet, no stimulation for a few hours just to decompress. That's that. we call that, Yeah, and That's we me. call that an introvert as right. well. And you don't have to be on the spectrum to I, feel that way or to, to have those characteristics. I have some experience working with children with autism. I treat a lot of kids with autism from a chiropractic perspective. And I have to tell you, I think the dialogue really should change because I think people who are on the spectrum are actually gifted because there are fact there are points that we don't discuss that are amazing about, you know, somebody with Asperger's or, you know, ASD anywhere on the spectrum. The one thing we don't know is that people on the spectrum don't know how to lie. They don't give in to social um um, you know, cues and social, they don't care about all that other stuff. They're not materialistic. Um, they don't hold a grudge. They're just true to themselves. And that can be mistaken for all those other things. I think we, as neurotypical people, could really learn from children or people with uh, you, autism. Uh, did, did, did you clarify what neurotypical means for those at home? Uh, neurotypical would be somebody like myself who wasn't diagnosed with, you know, autism or any other yep. condition. Yeah, cool. Yeah. I, I was just, I was um, interviewed last year and they asked me, can you clarify what neurotypical means? It's like, oh, okay. There's like, you'll learn a few new words today on this show. Right, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Is it true though they can't lie? They don't know. Because um, I'm sorry, it's I not. Can, I, can, I can just say, I'm not incapable of lying, but I am a terrible liar. And uh, if I lie, you'll know it pretty quick. However, um, 
and I'm not going to give like a class online because it kind of goes against my personal conscience to do that. You know, I'm, I find myself to be just an honest person. Right. You are. Yes. Yeah, and I think very well, and fair. He's a fair person. And I think oh. most are. Dory, I mean, go ahead. Well, just to add from a clinical perspective, I always thought that people in the spectrum couldn't lie too. But I find that if people, if there's two competing priorities, something that they really, really want, and then they have to use deception to get it, sometimes, like neurotypical people, they'll choose to use deception to get what they really, really want or to get out of a painful experience. So lying is not exclusively outside of the, the autistic domain. And why do those on the spectrum sometimes struggle to create romantic relationships? Who wants to answer that? There's a lot to unpack with this Mm -hmm. question, I feel, and I don't think we're going to cover all of it today. We don't have to cover all of it. (laughs) Okay, Okay, good. Take some of the pressure off me. Why do they struggle? Uh, Because um, we are in a world that we would love to understand, and we are also trying to make it so that the world understands us. So if I'm in a re- if I'm looking for a relationship and the vast majority of women I'm attracted to are not on the spectrum, so I'm saying I'll never go out with us anyone on the spectrum. I actually have fun fact. Laura actually set me up with someone on the spectrum last year. <laughs> yes, I did. Um, so, anyways, uh, to but the fa- if the fact of the matter is, if statistically the more women we're gonna uh, a guy like me would date in their life is neurotypical, then we would want to not necessarily put a mask over who we are but we want to rewire ourselves so that people uh, we date can respect us and also I tend to seek out the open minded women if a woman's not going to understand you know my tics like I'm not going to be comfortable around her but um, there is a lot of unfair pressure on us to uh, there's an unfair pressure on us to put on masks and hide who we are. I feel like there needs to be a sense of appreciation in our culture for our quirks and um, just Mm -hmm. autism in general. Mm -hmm. Dory? Just in terms of uh, why there's crossed wires sometimes when it comes to peer romantic relationships, I think the biggest thing just in terms of initiating relationships is often those cues are missed. So they're not picking up on the fact that someone is flirting with them, they're interested with them, and conversely, sometimes they don't even realize that they're sending off flirtation signals, and then they wonder later why this man is trying to get into bed with them. Right. So there's a lot of uh, mixed signals going on. I think if we were a lot more explicit about our interests, Uh, in each other would be a lot easier for uh, autistic people to date. We're talking about autism and romantic relationships on the Dating and Relationships show. We'll be right back. Now back to the Dating and Relationships show with Laura Bellotta from singleinthecity.ca on Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. Tonight on the Dating and Relationship Show, Global News Radio 640, we're offering dating and relationship tips for those with autism and Asperger's syndrome. I'm Laura Bellotta, your host. Joining me today is Dr. Claudia Michiela and Dory Zenner. She's a therapist who works with those affected by autism. And also, Evan Mead is here. He is a Toronto filmmaker with Asperger's and runs a social camp workshop for people with Asperger's. So I just want to ask you about friendships in general. Have you have you had difficulty with that in the past, uh, Evan? Very much so. Um, I've uh, been in situations where I've wanted to be friends with uh, other boys or maybe other girls, but maybe they didn't want to be friends with me. Um, the first difficulties kind of started, not to give you my whole life story, but the first difficulties started when I was in second grade. And... Um, 
there was a, a kid Nick who I was really good friends with and then one day out of nowhere he just didn't want, want to be my friend anymore and I struggled to adapt to why he didn't want to be friends and at the end of the day my teachers and my parents were just telling me you know it's a hard truth but uh, it's something you just have to accept and just move on and but interestingly, and so I did manage to make other friends. Um, I find it to be a very uh, rewarding experience. And um, uh, people tell me I'm uh, actually like, quite like more likable than I give myself credit for. And that just people like to be around and me. And has it gotten easier as you've gotten older? Well, yeah. Um, I think that uh, because given my line of work, I mean, filmmaking is, no matter how good you are at making a movie, my business is all about you know being social and being a professional and i find that um the the profession i've chosen tends to attract a lot of open-minded people and people who don't take things at face value so uh i feel very at home in my business and um, i can talk about movies with just about anyone um so if i were to tr- i could easily hijack this show right now and talk about like you know the the movie i saw last week because i do write uh movie reviews that i publish on my instagram account at ev's thoughts on films for those of you who want to read there you go the last film i re- <laughs> the last film i saw was shazam and i still have to write the review of that but the last review i wrote was of captain marvel and what is it what's one of your gifts you told me before you're you're able to you memorize like um i can memorize lines of dialogue from movies verbatim yeah so give us one uh it twisted my arm uh do you want me to do uh the, because we got an aladdin remake coming up with will smith uh do you want me to pay a tribute to the great robin williams yes please okay. Ten thousand years give you such a crick on that neck <laughs> hang on a second oh wow was it good to be out of there i'm telling you nice to be back ladies and gentlemen hi where are you from what's your name uh, Aladdin. Aladdin. Hello, Aladdin. Nice to have you on the show. Can we call you Owl or maybe just Din? Or how about Lottie? Sounds like you, boy. Come here, Lottie. <laughs> yeah. Evan, I want to know more about your dating experience and dating in general. How has that been for you? Uh, the last two years or so, um, I find to be go- myself to be going on more dates because I'm just getting more skilled at, at using the apps and at using dating apps. Um, I tend to get dates by asking women out on apps more so than I ask them out like when I go to like a social event. It's not that to say I never do it. If I meet someone at a social event and I want to ask them out, I'll um, ask them out um, at a later date. And how often do you make it to date two? um, To be perfectly honest, it's very rare. The last time I made it to date two um, was actually some uh, with someone I really liked and that was uh, last summer but um, I recently started seeing this other girl and um, date two uh, hopefully is going to be uh, this Friday and do you tell them that you're on the spectrum right away or is that matter, something that you wait to do it kind of depends on the person but most of the time I do just tell it to them on the spectrum but if uh, I'll usually do that by date number one but uh, in the case of the last girl I went out with I actually um, actually no wait I did tell her on date number one and Dory what do you suggest for him in terms of his dating? In, yeah, in terms of his dating. Do you think he should be telling them right away that he's on the spectrum? Well, I think that's a personal choice, obviously. if um, Sometimes people want to tell them so they understand, okay, this is what you're getting into and sort of uh, accept me for who I am or walk away. Yeah. Uh, other people feel more comfortable kind of keeping their cards close, getting to know the person first, and then once they've established trust, telling them so that they can form their opinion based on knowing them instead of just knowing the diagnosis. I think that's a better way to go. Yeah. Yeah. I personally think that's a better way to go. And uh, here's a question for you, Dory. Mm-hmm. Um, do you find that um, p- uh, people on the spectrum are more likely to be monogamous than uh, what's the opposite of monogamy? 
polyamorous polyamorous like do you find like um because i i consider myself to be a very monogamous person like i like to stay with one partner for um a long time and build something serious with that but um i'm told that uh it kind of like it's because we have such a diverse condition here it varies from person to person like do you find it's more common for people on the spectrum to be monogamous or to be uh just comfortable seeing other people multiple um, on multiple occasions uh, in the couples therapy work i do it's mostly with monogamous couples. Right. Um, and I do find that autistic people are incredibly loyal partners and they really like to focus all their energy and attention on one partner. However, I have worked with some couples where they all are polyamorous. And actually one woman approached me and the reason for seeking therapy is because she wanted to communicate with her husband's girlfriend better. Oh. So um, communication issues come up in polyamorous relationships too, but I'd say monogamous are probably more common. Oh, okay. We need to take a break. <laughs> You're listening to The Dating and Relationship Show. We'll be right back. You're listening to The Dating and Relationship Show with Laura Bellotta from singleinthecity.ca on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. We are talking about dating when you have autism right here on Global News Radio 640 Toronto, the Dating and Relationship Show. Thank you, Dr. Claudia McKella from the Center for Health for joining me today. Thank you for having me. As well as Evan Mead. He is also on the spectrum and he runs a social camp for a workshop for people with Asperger's as well as Dory Zenner's here. She's a therapist who works with those affected by autism. Before the break, we were talking about dating when you are on the spectrum. So I just want to continue with that a little bit longer. So Dory, how can those with autism improve their dating experiences? I think the key thing is to find people with shared interests because these are people you can really enjoy yourself with. So people with autism has very, have very passionate interests and they devote a lot of hours and energy into those. And if they can share that with someone else, it often helps fuel a relationship. Um, it's really important that they are open with what they need in a relationship. If they can talk about what they need or text about what they need or let their partner know, this is what will help um, improve the dating and should also they speak, should they solely be so seeking out partners with the same condition or no I mean when when I do couples therapy uh, oftentimes you'll have one sort of neurotypical person as we talked about with an autistic partner or you will have both partners with traits of autism or both yeah. being on the spectrum something I, I love that I've seen that is like I was like well I'll see like I'll meet a girl and she'll be like oh my boyfriend or husband has has Asperger's or autism but I get along with him because, like, I have, like, uh, borderline personality disorder or ADD. That's another thing. Like, um, if you have another neurological condition that's not autism, you're actually probably going to gravitate a lot more towards um, someone on the spectrum. And I can attest to that because um, the closest friends I've ever made in my life are both on the autism, are not only on the autism spectrum, but uh, the, the other closest friends I've ever made have ADD. Evan, how do you approach flirting differently? Uh... I'm still learning how, to be perfectly honest. Um, I can teach you. <laughs> Not <laughs> today, you. though. Um, okay, so um, uh, I'll take that to heart, by the way, Laura. Um, I'll, I'll hold you to that. Okay. So um, one of the things I've uh, noticed is that um, for a long, until recently, I actually had a lot of um, guilt and shame around uh, the actual like concept of flirting because I'm an honest person. And, um, you know, I have a couple of friends who uh, are very into psychology and they say that, like, it's actually human nature to be inherently deceitful. Like, we are not... There's a difference between 
the kind of manipulate of manipulation where like you're are intentionally trying to screw someone over um or if you're manipulating as a form of persuasion um the, the medical professionals would you guys attest to that that like we as human beings are innately manipulative creatures but that doesn't make us what immoral does that have to do with bad. flirting because flirting is an act of persuasion and it's an act of chemistry so um for a while, uh, my the first time I tried to flirt was in high school, and I just couldn't do it because I didn't know the language to do it. <laughs> so, but in recent years, I've gotten more comfortable with it. There was a lot of guilt and shame I had to um, shirk and just shake off. Because well, of I totally disagree with all those people said because flirting is is a form of courtship, and yeah. that's right, how yeah. we're meeting people today. And I think it's uh, fun and. Yeah, sorry. Well, no, I think what it points out is that flirting is actually a social construction. It's something that we've created in society over years of shaping behavior. And it's not natural to Evan, and maybe it's not natural to others. So because he doesn't feel like he's behaving authentically, therefore it feels like he's lying or being deceptive or manipulative. But but that's, um, I had to, but I am working on those feelings. And if I actually genuinely really care about someone, I want them to know my way of doing it may not be conventional for the other ones like my way of flirting is like i like to write love letters or little or some cute little text telling someone how much i care maybe throwing a little like uh emoticon my favorite one um that i've and actually that's used. cute that's yeah. very sweet one of my sure. favorite ones that i like to use is um uh, there's this uh cat with uh, its eyes closed and giving a little uh kissy motion like hmm so um if i'm ever comfortable yeah. sending that i will send that yeah so in various articles, it's often stated that those on the spectrum lack empathy. Yeah, and I don't believe that. Can mm-hmm. you give us some insight on that, Dory? You wanna- sure. I think that's one of the most harmful stereotypes about autism. Completely. Uh, yeah. In fact, people that I've met uh, over the years are actually the most empathetic and deeply caring people mm-hmm. that I've met. It's just that sometimes they have difficulty conveying that or communicating that in the right context, in the socially appropriate way. But that doesn't mean they don't care. In fact, they, they deeply care. They have what's called affective empathy. So they feel the empathy, but they may struggle with cognitive empathy. So perspective taking, mm-hmm. theory of mind, understanding the other people's position. So um, please understand that people on the spectrum can be wonderfully caring and empathetic. Mm -hmm. Claudia? I I noticed the same thing. Of all the children, once again, my experience is mostly with kids, but I can't imagine they change when they become teenagers or adults. I find that they're extremely empathetic, very loving, very caring. And when they do feel something, they feel it with their whole being. Mm -hmm. And it's just lovely. And I think they're just special individuals who grow up to be even more special adults. And Evan, back to dating, what are some key things that you want people to know uh, about dating someone who has uh, Asperger's like yourself? Um, well, again, like I, I love that the experts brought that up because we don't lack empathy. I don't lack empathy. I actually have amplified emotions. So if I get happy, it's a state of euphoria almost. If I get sad, it's depression. You know what? So. I'm sorry. We need to take a break. I'm gonna. Okay. We're going to continue with that, though. When we come back on the dating and relationship show, so don't go anywhere. Now back to the dating and relationship show with Laura Bilotta from singleinthecity.ca on Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. 
Tonight on the Dating and Relationship Show, we are talking about dating and relationships when you have autism with Dr. Claudia McKella. Hello. Dory Zenner, a therapist Hello. here in Toronto. She deals with those affected by autism. And Evan Mead, a Toronto filmmaker. Filmmaker. <laughs> <laughs> A Toronto filmmaker with Asperger's, and he also runs a social camp, which uh, we are going to talk about really shortly here. Before the break, I was asking Evan uh, what uh, were a few things that he wished people knew about dating someone who has autism. Please continue. Okay, well, I'm so glad you asked because the expert attested to something that I think is a very important stereotype to break, is that we on the spectrum are not cold and emotionless. And I think I touched upon that in the show. In fact, I would argue quite the opposite. I personally uh, have amplified emotions. Like if I'm happy, it's a state of euphoria. If I'm sad, it's a state of high vulnerability and just almost depression. If I'm angry, it's a state of rage and just malice and just... It's almost like, you know, being the Incredible Hulk, almost. Oh, um, so, do you turn green? <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, not on, not on Wednesdays, at least. <laughs> um, <laughs> so um, the point is, if I'm going to feel... I'm gonna, if I'm going to feel for you as my partner... Uh, I'm going to go all the way. Like I'm going to feel I'm going to I'm going to feel your emotions right along with you. I'm uh, I'm an empath and um that's kind of what we do. We take on other people's emotions and we wear them together. And when like if my partner or girlfriend is sad, that I'm going to be sad. If she's like passionate about something, I'm going to be right there with her. So Speaking of passion, I just want to mention about the pacing of uh, relationships with people on the spectrum. So sometimes um, it's really slow. They're getting to know each other over a number of years. Maybe after two, three years, a friendship will slowly turn so that they feel comfortable enough touching their hands together. Maybe there's a a first kiss. But in other relationships, it's like uh, soulmates, instant connection, and the relationship becomes the special interest or the passionate interest where all they focus on is being involved with the other person. So it's very interesting to see the different pacing in relationships. And there's often also that assumption that people with autism are not interested in romance or affection. Is that just a misconception? It's yes. obviously, yeah. yes. Yeah. I think what's interesting and what I've seen in relationships sometimes when people come in for support is that they say, you know, my partner doesn't care about me, they're not romantic. And meanwhile, the person on the spectrum has been planning this grandiose overture where they're going to plan this trip and they're going to go away and it's all a big surprise, but the day-to-day needs aren't being met. So they're forgetting to right. touch their partner, smile at their partner, say hello, say how was your day. So the romance is superseding just the everyday functioning. Yeah. Let's talk about sexuality now. Ooh, sexuality. <laughs> you make me think of that uh, salt and pepper song. <laughs> yes, Dory, <laughs> how can autism affect one's sexuality? This is a very interesting thing. Uh, Evan and I both, t- both touched on this before, the open-mindedness of people on the spectrum. So they're not as likely to conform socially in situations, and this applies to sexuality as well. As well. And some studies recently shown as much as 70% of people on the spectrum do not Um, identify as heterosexual. So they see themselves as bisexual, maybe lesbian or gay, uh, pansexual. I've worked with some people who identify as demisexual, sapiosexual. There's all kinds of differences in in their sexual identity, much more openness than us boring. Evan, have you heard of that? I didn't know the statistic till now. I find that interesting. But I've met um, a lot of people on the spectrum who uh, identify as gay. 
and um, or queer. So um, it, it is an interesting uh, phenomenon, though. And Dory, how can one overcome potential issues with intimacy? I think the most important thing is to move at a pace that feels comfortable for you. Like you need to tune in. I'm speaking to an autistic person here. Tune into your gut. If something uh, feels right, go with it. And something feels uncomfortable, slow down. Be open about what feels good and what doesn't. And make sure you're communicating with your partner. Sometimes face-to-face communication can feel too intense. So go for a walk. Go um, for a ride in the car. Text each other. Uh, try to communicate in ways where it doesn't feel as emotionally intense. And you can really get across your, your key points. I have a question for Evan. So because I deal with a lot of children with, on the spectrum, I'm curious to know, in what ways do you think your ASD um, might have influenced your attitudes towards love and sex? Um, I think it's uh, made me um, more open in terms of, uh, but also more, more open and more closed off at the same time. Like I'm uh, very curious um, to explore sexuality um, I'm also, uh, I, I know that I like girls. So, um, if, if there were any guys who are interested, sorry, not my thing, but, um, <laughs> it's just, uh, it, well, not even like, I think that's a, but I just want to like, just say that like, um, I'm honestly not quite sure how to answer that because, um, it's such a sacred part of who I am that, um, I'm not really sure even how I understand it. All I know is that, um, I get into posi- I get into positions where like um I do fantasize about um certain women I meet um Well I think in, that's in normal that's, for everybody. Right, yeah, which is it, good. It, it, it is. Um I, we I, fantasize like, I do, about certain men yeah. we meet I, even when we're in relationships it just happens. Right, yeah. Um so I do have like the normal fantasies and um uh, I find that um, it's harder to initiate sex, um, just personally for me, and um, it, it's it's weird talking about that because like when you broadcast it out there, it's difficult. It, 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 I I I get the impression that it would make like me less desirable to a partner because when the way I've interpreted it, the situation is that if women see like a man having trouble, you know, having sex, it's like it's probably for a reason. So therefore, I'm going to stay away. We need to take a break. We'll be right back. And we're also going to be talking about the social camp for those on the spectrum when we come back on the Dating and Relationship Show. You're listening to the Dating and Relationship Show with Laura Bellotta from singleinthecity.ca on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. And we're back. You're tuned into the Dating and Relationship Show. I'm your host, Laura Bellotta from singleinthecity.ca. We're talking about dating as an adult with autism with my co-host here, our show regular, Claudia Michaela. Hello. Dory Zenner, therapist who works with those affected by autism. Hello. And Evan Mead, he has Asperger's and he also runs a social camp workshop for people with Asperger's. It's like I keep saying autism, Asperger's. I mean, so good. Before we went to air, Dory was actually telling me that um, the American Medical Association, if that was was called, they dropped the Asperger's syndrome and they just lumped it in with the rest of autism. Mm -hmm. I personally think that was a mistake on their part because 
uh, I know theoretically I can understand like the pro of it is it's one less medical label to deal with as a diagnosis but at the same time when you lump it in with autism it kind of um, there because there are some differences between Asperger's and autism and we were before the break thank you Evan uh, we just we don't have a lot of time here we just so much information that we want to get out here today how we were talking about how autism uh, affects one's sexuality and we were asking uh, Evan his opinion or his advice on that mm-hmm. um and so you have a question for us now uh yeah um to the experts in the room claudia and dory um i would um and laura hello uh, Cla- <laughs> Hi, I'm, sorry i'm the um, date coach okay yeah. so so to the experts claudia laura <laughs> i uh, would just ask um uh if i'm like having trouble initiating sex with multiple partners and uh would that give off a scent of desperation to a woman and would that steer women away thinking absolutely not no no i think it all depends on the woman because yes there are some women that would be turned off by that but then again evan then that's not the right girl for you there's somebody out there for everyone so you just have to find the right one that's going to accept you for who you are Dory. Yeah, no, just add to that. I I completely agree. I think some women actually feel more comfortable where there isn't one person who's the aggressor or the dominator or the one who's initiating, where it's more of a mutual act together. That's something Mm -hmm. you're seeking. Yeah. That intimacy. And again, it also depends as well on the maturity level of the female that that we're talking about here. Yeah. Yeah. I just wanted to add one point, if that's okay, Um, just around. Of your comfort with sex in general and I think it's not just you Evan like people on the spectrum growing up are often not exposed to sex ed uh, they're not getting the same education as their peers they don't have the curriculum necessarily they're being exposed to or they don't have the peers to talk about sex when they're growing up because they might be a bit more isolated so their exposure to sex can be somewhat limited sometimes unfortunately just to porn or to really uh, not much exposure at all so when they come to adulthood and they're interested in seeking partners they might feel a little bit more sheltered and less uh, mm-hmm. Maybe more naive than their peers. Social camp. I want to talk about that now. So Evan and I run a social camp for those on the spectrum, and we host them about once every three or four months, something like that, Evan. Yes. We've had about how many now? Four or five? Uh, more than that. Because our, fir- our first one was in uh, right after Valentine's Day of 2016. And that's how I met you, because you asked me to be one of the day coaches yeah. for that. Anyways, well, and I love doing it because... Sorry, did you want to say something? Well, yeah. I mean, like, um, I just want to throw it out there. It, I initially called it day camp because I thought, you know what? I'm, I want to make a documentary that explores love and autism, kind of like what other, filmmak- other filmmakers have done. However, uh, so I called it date camp. And then when we got there, the people who showed up right after Valentine's Day, they didn't really have that many questions related to dating. They just wanted friends. Exactly. They so wanted, they yeah. wanted the first dating was kind of on the back burner. It's like. I just want to know how to talk to, you know, the guy who I want to go grab a beer with or go bowling with, you know? Yeah. So, um, which is great because I mean, that's the way to start exactly. relationships, period. I, I personally like to be friends with any, if I'm going to get involved intimately with anyone, I have to know that I can be their friend too. And you've like, always told me that as well. Yeah. So uh, the social camp is great because it just, um, uh, it's a safe space Yes. For them just to come in and then talk about maybe some of the things that they're going through or some of the things that they have gone through. Absolutely. We teach them communication skills. We teach them eye contact. And then what we do is we facilitate a speed networking event where we encourage them to have conversations or we encourage them um, to get each other's phone numbers afterwards. And yes. a lot of them create these friendships. And so in the beginning, they're all a little nervous coming in. And then by the end, everyone's talking, laughing. And it's it's just, it feels so great to be able to be part of that. And what age group? 
Like, are you? Well, that's an excellent question. I initially, when I started, it was just 18 plus, but then I opened it up to 13 plus due to popular demand because parents of teenagers and high schoolers kept asking me, are you ever good? Do you ever do one for one of these workshops for kids or teenagers? And I said, you know what? We're going to open it up to them. Mm -hmm. Uh, And uh, the last one we did was actually in uh, November of 2018. And we had had, the oldest guy in the room was like in his late 30s. And we had uh, another kid who is like 13 and they got along perfectly like um the age gap um was a little bizarre but it was um it was it was fun like they they enjoyed themselves they talked to one another and age is just a number so evan honestly. where can people find the next one you can email uh date camp for aspergers at gmail.com for any inquiries on okay. the workshops is it the word for or the number for uh date camp for the word for okay uh, one more question. One more question. What advice would you give to someone entering a relationship with a person with ASD? Quick. Okay, quickly. Um, I would say be calm and supportive. Uh, give the person the benefit of the doubt. They may not always behave in a way that you think is consistent with where they're coming from. So ask them, you know, what's going on with you? What are you thinking? What are you feeling? So you can really clarify those misconceptions right at the beginning. Really love that partner like an equal. Never bring up their diagnosis as something that is wrong about them or something that is causing problems within the relationship. It's more about valuing them and cherishing them for who they are. Thank you, everybody. That's all the time we have for today. Uh, for those that of you that do have Asperger's, it's all about finding someone who understands and appreciates you for who you are and what makes you unique. Dory, where can people find you? I can find me on Twitter at Dory Zenner, or you can find my website, DoryZenner.com. Claudia, where can people find you? My social handle is on Instagram at Claudia Machiella. And Evan? Um, If you want to find me on Instagram, my handle is the Evan Mead, all one word. And if you want to look up my film reviews, it's Ev's Thoughts on Films, all one word. And uh, once again, datecamperaspergers at gmail.com is where you email me for inquiries on the next social camp. And guys, I have created a winning formula for approaching women, creating attraction, and never running out of things to say to see what it's all about. Go to getthetotalapproach.singleinthecity.ca. That's getthetotalapproach.singleinthecity.ca. That's our show for today. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Until next week, ciao for now.